You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our reading this morning comes from the New Testament, in the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. Our reading this morning is in connection with Psalm 125, the Song of Ascents that's going to have our attention this morning. We'll see that the situation of these Thessalonians as they face persecution and as they also show the fruit of the Spirit at work in them in that persecution fits very closely with our text from Psalm 125. And so let's begin reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll read the verses 1 through 4 before we jump over to chapter 2. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. In chapter 2, at verse 1, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He calls you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. 
but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Our text this morning is Psalm 125. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we've been going through these songs of ascents, the Psalms beginning at 120, or now at 125, you've probably realized that the theme of protection The theme of protection and security are very, very strong in these psalms. It's a recurring theme that comes up over and over and over again. It was there in Psalm 121 and Psalm 122, 123, 124. And it returns here in Psalm 125, which has our attention this morning. It becomes such a regular pattern that you may be tempted to say to yourself this morning as we turn to Psalm 125, okay, well, here we go. It's another psalm and another sermon about the Lord's protection. I've heard it once. Now we've heard it several times. What's new? It seems like we're just repeating the same theme over and over and over again. Well, even if that was true, I hope you realize that that wouldn't really be a problem. The Lord's protection is a profound comfort for his people. And there are so many different angles to the Lord's protection that we certainly could take a whole year to uncover and unpack the theme of God's care and protection of his people. But yet, that is not what we will do this morning. Because, in fact, Psalm 125 really builds on the psalms that came before. It has the foundation of God's protection, but then it moves us on from that protection. Psalm 125 teaches us that, yes, God protects his people, but what does that mean now for God's people? Yes, we know of his protection. We know that we rest secure, and we've been taught that over and over in these songs of ascent. It's so prevalent throughout God's word. It's at the, it's a result of God's covenant love and all of his work from the very beginning when he gave his promise of a savior. We especially know of this protection through Jesus Christ. This psalm urges us to consider what does that mean for us moving forward? That is, resting in God by faith. How does that work out now in our hearts and in our lives? And so this psalm 
founded strongly on the reality of God's protection motivates us towards a response of, of faith and obedience, what you might call and what we will call this morning character. Christian character. Faith and obedience. Character of the righteous. Since God protects his people, that's our theme this morning. You see the foundation right there. Since God protects his people, believers grow in godly character. And we'll see that character comes from faith, that that faith builds character. And in fact, even that faith demands character. And finally, we'll, we'll consider the the circular nature of this faith character dynamic. That the character that the believers show and live out as they serve the Lord actually turns back and and confirms their faith and confirms the Lord's protection the entire time. So since God protects his people, believers grow in godly character. So you notice right at the outset that connection between Faith and character. Notice in verse 1, those who trust in the Lord, those who have faith in the Lord, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. So those who have faith appear like a certain way. They act a certain way. Now, trust, of course, is a synonym for faith. They talk about the same thing. So what does that faith in the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, have? Well, it has an immediate and a lasting effect. It has an effect both for the present and for forever. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. That word there that's used for shaken is is a word that elsewhere in Scripture is translated with words like, like topple, slip, move, even stagger like a wounded man. Those things describe someone who is, who is wounded or hurt or, or in other ways, uh, not standing firm even on their own two legs. And you realize, of course, that that kind of behavior doesn't characterize a mountain. Mountains don't do any of those kind of things. Mountains stand firm. They're made of rock. They're really heavy. You can't move them very easily. In fact, you can't move them at all. They're really wide at the bottom. That's good engineering. It means they don't move. Mountains don't do that in generally. And how much more so Mount Zion, God's special mountain. The mountain upon which God rested in his glory in the temple. Upon which he set his love over Jerusalem and over the people of God as they would gather for worship there at the temple. If mountains don't move, most especially Mount Zion, God's special mountain, does not move but remains firm, sturdy, and steadfast. Well, those who trust in the Lord are just like that mountain. Strong, sturdy, and steadfast. It's like they're made of rock. Tons and tons and tons of rock. And they're not moved by the trials and tribulations, by the winds, by the storms of life. Faith builds confidence. 
Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Now, the faith that we're talking about here is not some sort of empty faith. It's a particular kind of faith. We say that faith builds confidence. We're not talking about the same thing that that William James, perhaps you've heard of him, he was a philosopher, a famous pragmatist. He taught, and it's it's an idea that has become almost universally accepted today, that faith creates its own verification. That is, it doesn't really matter what you believe in, as long as you believe in something strongly, and it's not a completely ridiculous idea, but you believe in something that, that's worth believing in strongly, it will give you confidence to move forward. And the example that, that James gives is a young man who's, who's not sure whether a certain girl likes him. And were he to not be sure and continue in that, he would be insecure himself and, and probably not talk to her and, and go around his wondering about her and whether she likes him or not. This feeling is probably familiar to certain young men in our congregation. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Well, James points out, if this young man were to simply believe that this girl liked him, he would probably become a lot more attractive to her. He would act with confidence. He would act securely. He would act in the kind of ways that would make him attractive to this girl. And so his confidence in something that may or not may not be true actually creates its own verification so that more than likely this young woman would become attracted to him. And so faith creates its own verification. Many people believe this to be true. These are the, when people talk about the importance of prayer, you hear the little snippet on the radio how 50% of people who who pray regularly are more healthy than other people who don't pray regularly and those kind of things. This is what they're generally talking about. Some sort of vague idea about faith. Faith in something that will give you confidence moving forward. Well, Psalm 125 is not talking about that kind of faith. When we're talking about, when we're looking at Psalm 125, the trust here, we're on a totally different level. We're on a totally different sphere. We're moving from the subjective to the objective. We're moving, this is confidence that, that comes not from something internal and, and possible, but we're talking about confidence that comes from something external and 100% certain. This isn't faith in some sort of vague idea. This is faith in God, the eternal God, the covenant God, the God who has revealed himself in Scripture. And it's a confidence that's based on what he has done. It's not about what he might do. It's not about what may or may not be true, and it's better just to believe what's what's good. No, it's about what's believing what's true. And the God of truth has revealed himself in his word. And he is faithful. 100%. God cannot be moved. Even more than Mount Zion, God cannot be moved. He is strong, sturdy, and steadfast, and he remains so forever. And so the faith that this psalm is talking about is faith, as it says, in the Lord, in Yahweh, in who he is. It rests upon him. 
And that's what David goes on to say. He says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. God's love encompasses his people. And God has shown time after time the character and quality of his love. It's an enduring and abiding love. What David is saying is that when your confidence is in God, then you have every reason for confidence. When you trust in God, it makes a difference for yourself. Trusting in God brings you into this whole new, unbeforeseen and and unseen by many people reality that, that informs and transforms your entire life. Trusting in God opens up new vistas for you and it changes who you are and how you react to life. It's sort of like watching a scary movie or a scary TV show. Maybe you've had the experience as you were watching a show or a a movie that was quite engrossing and also quite scary, that a certain moment you had to say to yourself, okay, this isn't real. This is just a movie. I don't need to get scared by something that's happening on a TV in front of me because you, you're feeling so pulled into this. So you, you pull out and you say, that's not real. Everything's okay. Now in life, when you find yourself losing confidence, when you become scared and and anxious, you can't just simply say to yourself, well, this isn't real. No, the reason why you're scared, the reason why you're losing confidence is because this is real. And this is affecting you. It's not like a TV that you can just pull yourself out of. But you can say to yourself, this is not decisive. This is not decisive. This present reality that's causing me to be anxious and scared is not decisive. It's real and challenging, but God is bigger than this concern. And he's the faithful God and his promises are sure. And he promises to redeem his people and to be with them forever. And there are all sorts of applications for this. Perhaps For some of the young people here this morning, perhaps as you enjoy the summertime, you're actually thinking ahead in your mind to the return to school. And you're dreading that return to school because of because of all the relational drama involved in going to school. You know that going back there is going to be a return to a a situation where you're you're either bullied or you're ridiculed. Or. You're pressured to get into trouble with your friends. That's the way it goes for you at school. And you know that's just going to happen again in the future. And, and and when you're in those problems, they can become larger than life. They can be the only thing that looms before you on the horizon. Well, trusting in God and knowing that God is with you now and God will be with you in a month when you return to school can give you confidence can put your heart at rest. You can know that he will be with you and he will strengthen you as you face those challenges. Or perhaps on the other end of the spectrum, perhaps you're a little older and you're quite sure 
You look at the things going on in the world and, and shootings and wars and crimes, terrible, heinous crimes, you're pretty sure that the world is going somewhere very hot in a handbasket very fast. And it scares you. And you're anxious. And you're anxious not only for yourself, but also for your children and for your grandchildren. What sort of world are they growing up in? And it can become overwhelming. But if you remember that God is in control, and that this is God's world, that God is watching over this world, and, and as he was with you, as you faced many trials in your life, so God will be with your children and your grandchildren because his promises are sure, and God is faithful. So trusting in God's bigger plan, and God's bigger purpose gives you confidence. Corey and Alice Rabb, be professing their faith in the Lord later this morning. You've experienced this. Before you knew the Lord and his greater purposes, you faced real and devastating challenges to your life. But coming to Jesus Christ and submitting to him has brought you into a whole new reality and into a whole new confidence for now and for the rest of your life. And today you will publicly profess your trust in the Lord and your desire to submit your ways to him in our church. So you see how faith builds confidence, not because of what faith is, but because of who God is, because God is in control, because God is 100% faithful. Well, this idea that faith builds character gets picked up again in verse 4, where it says, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. And we're going to come back to verse 4 later, but for now, we need to just simply point out that equal sign that exists here in this psalm between verse 1 and verse 4, that those who trust in the Lord are the ones who do good. Those who trust in the Lord are the ones who do good. Faith builds character. It builds confidence, as we've seen. It also builds obedience, as here. Those who are good, those who are upright in heart, are the ones who trust in the Lord. Of course it does, because justification precedes sanctification. What does that mean? It means that we're brought to saving faith in the Lord first. Then, with that new relationship, God goes to work on us strengthening our obedience and increasing our holiness. First, God secures us, saves us. and Then he works obedience in us. And you see this with the Thessalonians in our reading. They were a fledgling group of Christians, a small group in a big city, facing persecution, probably from both Jews and Gentiles, They lived in a highly disobedient and immoral culture. They had every reason to fear, to look out on the horizon and be afraid of what they saw. But they weren't. Because they believed the gospel message about the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. And they trusted in God. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul commends them for their love, for their faith and their love in that order. He says, your faith is growing more and more. And what's the result for them? The love that each one of you has for each other is increasing. 
Faith for the Thessalonians built confidence and it built obedience as they expressed love for each other. Their present concerns weren't so great that they couldn't reach out to one another in love and support. And of course, this faith-building character, it finds its fulfillment and its highest point in Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose absolute and perfect trust in God led him to perfect obedience, to the kind of obedience that we ourselves could never attain. And his obedience secured our redemption and so displayed God's love and fulfilled God's great plan and purpose that we who trust in him can be firm and sure. Through Jesus' faith and his obedience working itself out of that faith, we can trust in him and know that our redemption is secure because of what he has done for us. And when you believe that, you're like Mount Zion, firm and sure. Faith in the Lord is the foundation for Christian character. Faith also demands this character. So character is a natural consequence of faith. It's also a necessary consequence of faith. Those who trust in the Lord will develop confidence and obedience. And those who trust in the Lord must develop confidence and obedience. That sounds harsh, you say. Well, how can you say this must happen? And what if I don't see it happening right now in my life? Well, let's consider what's going on here. In verse 3, God's sovereign rule over all is given as the reason for doing right. And the logic of that verse proceeds with basically three steps. Three steps that go something like this. This is the first step. If the wicked were to remain, then the righteous might be unduly tempted. That's the second part. For the, Then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. If the wicked were to remain in charge, then the righteous might be unduly tempted. There are several, many possible reasons for this. For one, the righteous might simply fall into fall into the ways, fall in line behind their wicked leaders. That so often happened for God's people. The leaders were unfaithful and God's people, just like the caboose on a train, followed them into their unfaithfulness. It happened under evil King Ahab when Elijah became convinced that he was the only one of God's faithful left. So that's one possibility, that God's people might follow their wicked leaders into sin. Another possibility is that is that the believers might be tempted to pursue a good result through unfaithful means. That because the wicked are in charge and because it's so oppressive for them, they think, well, I need to take matters into my own hands and get rid of these guys so that we can have a return to what's good. And you can think of the temptation that, that David faced, for example, to kill Saul. When he was being pursued by Saul, Saul was seeking to kill him. And David had the opportunity to take Saul's life, an opportunity he didn't actually make good on because he committed himself to the Lord. If the wicked remain in charge, then the righteous might be unduly tempted. Now, you might feel this as that student in school, looking forward to school. When it seems like it's the disobedient kids, it's the kids who are getting into trouble, 
It's the kids who aren't respecting their teachers or their parents or God that always seem to be the ones who are having the most fun or who are the most popular and have the most friends or are happier than everyone else. And you think, do I have to become like that in order to experience that? Or perhaps you're one of the ones growing older and you've seen how terrible these things are that are going on in the world and you think, well, if that's the way the government's going to deal with my money, fine. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And I'm not going to pay taxes when I should be paying taxes. They're all a bunch of crooks and everything's a money grab. So I'm going to ignore the necessary permits and insurances and do things my way. If the wicked remain in charge, then the righteous might be unduly tempted. But the logic continues, since God is in control, the righteous will not remain. The scepter of the wicked will not remain. Scepter is just the symbol of rule. The king would have his scepter show that he was the one in charge. Well, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land of the righteous. And so you see that bigger picture of God's plan. Yes, the wicked are in charge in this small way, but God is in in charge above them. They are not going to remain in charge. Did God not promise to be with his people? Did God not promise to come to the aid of his people? Has God not told his people to be patient in times of trial? Did God not say, even after his people were rebellious and that he, and he had punished them for their rebellion, that he would return to them and he would so bind their hearts that they would be faithful to him? Are not God's people precious to him? Are not God's promises precious to him? The wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous because of who God is, because he's in charge, because he has a bigger plan. He has a plan even for his people under those wicked rulers. And therefore, since God is in control, the righteous can do what is right. You don't need to take matters into your own hands. You don't need to fight fire with fire. You don't need to justify your wrong actions. The Lord is God. He is the ever-present God. He is the ever-faithful God. The wicked are like the grass or like flowers, Scripture says. They're, They're here today and they're gone tomorrow, but God and His Word endures forever. In fact, the psalmist goes on to say, If you cannot live with the present reality that God is sovereign over all things, and if you seek to change it by pursuing selfish and sinful methods, then you actually reveal the unbelief that's creeping into your heart. And you actually jump over from the way of the righteous to the way of the wicked, the way of the sinner, the way of death and punishment. Verse 5 in our text says, Those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Notice that. Those who turn to crooked ways. It's very clear who the psalmist is talking about. This is not people who have been doing crooked ways for their whole life. This is people who used to be on the right path. Who used to be doing what is good, but they turned. They used to walk with the righteous but they've abandoned that path. It wasn't going their way. It wasn't going fast enough. 
And so they took matters into their own hands. And notice also, they didn't always belong with the evildoers, but God will banish them with the evildoers. These are people who seem to have the right goals. They seem to have the same goals as everyone else. They seem to want to do what is best. But their lack of faithful obedience shows that they they don't want to do what is best. They don't want to trust in the Lord. Perhaps that relational drama that the student faces at school could be fixed. You could fix it by gaining the upper hand over your friends. You could start spilling gossip about them over Facebook, sharing all sorts of dirty secrets about them with your friends. You can undermine their credibility and and gain popularity yourself. Or if you're facing the prospect of this world that seems so scary to you, you can just lose yourself from this world. You can just lose yourself in a world of, of fiction or entertainment. Television, whatever. Of course, there are more troubling and deeper things that you could do. If you're faced with challenges in your marriage, real, present challenges, you can always just jump ship, take matters into your own hands. I don't need fulfillment for my marriage. I can get it somewhere else. And so you pursue it in pornography or adultery or isolation. Or you're so troubled by things in this world that you you just want to forget it all. And so you hide from your sorrow and the pain with alcohol or with drugs. Now, going back to the psalm and looking at verse 3, you say, what does this have to do with a, a, an evil king ruling over the land of Israel? Well, it has everything to do with it. The principle is exactly the same. In the face of sin, you react not by trusting in the Lord and following his ways, but by trading your difficult situation for a sinful solution, which is really no solution at all. Knowing and trusting in the Lord, however, gives you every reason for committing yourself to doing what is right. This is the very way that Jesus Christ accomplished salvation for his people. He didn't react to what seemed like a hopeless situation by rebelling. He didn't lash out in force against his oppressors. He didn't hate them in his heart. What did he do? He loved them. He asked God to forgive them. And he asked for mercy. And he gave up his life for the very ones who drove him to the cross in the first place by their sin for you and for me. God calls you to the same obedience because Jesus Christ has done this for you. Paul says at one moment to the Galatians, having begun with the grace of God, are you now trying to proceed through your own effort? Having confessed, in other words, that your help is in the name of the Lord, are you now going to turn to some other ill-conceived, harmful, idolatrous, self-created solution? The Lord has given us every reason to trust in him. And so trust in him. Trust in him in the good times and trust in him in the hard times. Trust in him by committing your ways to his ways. That's the way of blessing and the way of ultimate 
and certain protection. That's what the Thessalonians had experienced as they had their faith confirmed by their faithful obedience, by their character. The threat that the Thessalonians faced was persecution. And how had they responded? With faith and love. And for that, Paul commended them. And he asked God's blessing and help in leading them on. And what was the result for them? Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Those who trust in the Lord have good done to them. That's the prayer that this psalm urges us to take on our lips. Verse 4, do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. That's trusting and trusting yourself to God to pray those words. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. Do good to those who are trusting in you. And as many other psalms would express, we have every reason to trust in you. Basically, we're asking, Lord, Confirm your promises to those who believe in them. And this is the beautiful circular dynamic of faith. You trust that God is doing good. And that leads you to do good. And when you do good, God shows his goodness to you. And it affirms for you what you had already committed yourself to trusting in, that God is good. God's goodness teaches you to do good. And when you do good, you experience God's goodness. So you have all the more reason to trust in him. And that really is the message from God's word this morning. Understand that God is in control and trust in him. No matter what you face, trust in the Lord. He is in control. And trusting in him means following his ways. Doing what's right according to his standards. And when you do this, you will experience the goodness and the glory of God's plan, God's good and perfect plan. And you will feel secure in his protection. And around and around and around you go. This is the life of a Christian going around in this beautiful circle. Seems kind of boring, you think. Just going around and around and around, spinning our wheels. No, not at all. We're going around and around, but it's like a spiral staircase. As we follow that circle around, you're also climbing higher and higher. As you follow that circle of faith and character, God is moving you forward, onward and upward in his plan. And you are going deeper and deeper and deeper into his peace. Hence Paul's word to the Thessalonians, which we will close with in Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 3 at verse 4 and 5. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. Character coming out of their faith. And then he prays. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Onward and upward. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.